Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. Nicole Shallow is on the podcast this week. We've just been talking for quite a while. We're like, wait, maybe we should record or are we just going like, <laughs> to hang out <laughs> and chit chat the whole time. But um, anyways, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you on. Nicole is a board certified behavior analyst and she's a sleep specialist, which is so exciting to talk about sleep today. And we also share some clients, which is super exciting because she is based out of British Columbia, Canada, because I have a lot of states listeners. So they're not yeah. gonna they're not gonna know me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> but anyways, so before we dive into our topic, would you be able to introduce yourself, give some more information for everyone listening? Sure. So as uh, you said, I'm Shallow. I've been a behavior analyst for, I think I'm coming up, coming up on my fourth year because I have to renew my continuing education cycle. I dove into sleep because, well, one of my professors at the University of British Columbia was like, there's no BCBAs doing sleep we have toileting we have feeding um, but there's no one tackling sleep and so many of our clients um, we were working specifically with uh, autistic children and they struggle with sleep the research shows it um so I took that and challenge accepted anyone says something isn't being done I'll I'll take it on um so yeah I've done I did my mentorship with a uh, a doctor in the state and continued my own research around sleep and how to use behavior change in the science of uh, behavior analysis to support parents, support people in changing their habits and setting themselves up for a healthy night's sleep. So yeah, and my passion, I mean, I suck at sleeping. I was never good at it. Um, I'm better at it now because I implemented my own strategies and what I learned. Um, but I was a challenging sleeper. My mom can attest to that. There's only so much you can do in the therapy room when there's all these environmental factors coming into play that are really making a big impact on kids and they need to be addressed, right? We know sleep is important. Like we're all like, sleep is so important, but like, can you talk about why is sleep important? Yeah. So without like terrifying anybody, and I didn't know about this either. Sleep is like the foundation to our overall physical and mental health. If we don't sleep well, Short term, especially for child for children, you'll see kids who don't sleep well. They'll have um, they can have symptoms of ADHD, um, so distractibility, difficulty focusing, um, difficulty with emotion regulation, um, all sorts of stuff that makes life just a bit harder. Especially if um, children are more sensitive to their sensory environment, they're not sleeping well. Their ability to tolerate that can be inhibited. So looking at sleep from that perspective, as well as looking at sleep from learning and memory. I remember working with clients who really struggled with sleep. And this was before I knew anything about it. As behavior analyst, I was like in the therapy room, working with the kids, no progress, none. And then we looked at, okay, what's happening? And we knew at nighttime was hard. It was unbelievably challenging. And I didn't know at that time that our job could actually help this family and we could set up the environment to help them sleep or fall asleep, which is the tricky one and staying asleep, not waking up in the night and wandering around for three hours. So sleep 
is also really important for memory and learning. So as I mentioned, I had clients where we were working on the same skills over and over, could not make progress, and we would make environmental changes and do all the things that we know how to do as um, BIs. I was a BI at the time, and then behavior analyst too. And nothing was changing. And so in hindsight, I'm like, well, if they're not sleeping, if we're not sleeping, we're not learning because all of our learning and all of our memory consolidation happens while we're asleep. I was like, okay, so what's the point of doing work during the day if they're not sleeping at night? And so I've worked with clients where once we got sleep, once I got sleep under control and they were able to fall asleep, stay asleep for a long period of time, parents reported like, oh, they're more social. Their language is exploding now. Like they're starting to see these skills improve within weeks. So it's it's one of those things that should it be, it should be definitely one of the first things we ask, food, sleep, toileting, right? Those foundation ones, um, but sleep for sure. Um, if they're not sleeping well, or if the parents aren't sleeping well, it's going to be tricky to make any sort of progress. And it will just kind of be a barrier in a way. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Like if you think about that's when we're like consolidating everything we've learned throughout the day, we're trying to teach them all these yeah. new skills. If their sleep isn't there, we're not going to see a lot of progress. But at the same time, I don't know how many times I've asked about sleep. Like, you know what? It's unfortunate. I think like I ask about it a lot when it comes to stuttering, but then mm -hmm. I might not ask about it as much in other areas because we know stuttering, there's so many environmental factors, but I wonder how often SLPs are really considering this when they have a child come in who's like a late talker or they're mm -hmm. having an assessment for autism. Can we talk about sleep and autism. I just mentioned the autism assessment or ADHD, yeah. sleep and neurodiversity. I don't even know where to begin with that, but yeah, it's a, it's a broad topic for sure. And so sleep, sleep and neurodiversity. And like, for me specifically looking at ADHD, ASD, um, anxiety, those categories, like if we were to categorize it, I mean, I, it's not the best way to describe, but that's how we do it currently. But the research shows that those populations are more likely to have more difficulty with sleep. And there's multiple reasons why from a physiological perspective, there's uh, differences in neurotransmitters, differences in um, basic nutrients. So some of the kids we work with, if they're really picky eaters and they're not getting enough nutrients, especially like vitamin D or iron and a backload of other things that a nutritionist supported me on with another client, they the likelihood of being able to sleep and actually have all those processes working in their favor is a barrier. Other reasons is low melatonin production. So um, autistic children and, and humans have, they might have lower melatonin than um, a neurotypical body might. So looking at that piece and melatonin is always a hard one, but it can be supplemented, but it's necessarily not the right answer always. Um, and that's a whole other conversation is melatonin. The answer to sleep problems, I would say absolutely not. But it can be really helpful for some people, especially if we know blood levels are actually low. Um, but lots of environmental factors impact our natural ability to produce melatonin. I have so many questions. One of my questions is, do you notice a difference with age? So when we're thinking about autistic children do you see a big difference like oh there are more challenges when they start school or are there more challenges when they're toddlers or or is that not really like age isn't a huge factor you think about I think it can depend so a lot of the cases that I do get 
it's like they've had trouble with sleep since infancy. Like if they were like, there was one case, infant as an infant only slept 20 minutes at a time. Couldn't ever get past the cycle. And so there's that piece to it too. And I know there's more research going into sleep and um, how that impacts our brain development early on. Um, and what does that mean? Or is this something, I don't really know too much about it, but it's a very interesting path of research that they're looking at. But when we were young and in infants, that's a lot of the learning, a lot of the pruning happens during our sleep. So those neural connections and the cleaning up that needs to happen and all the taking in all that information, if we're not sleeping well as infants, into toddlers, into that, like it can really impact brain development. Kids too, they might be sleeping well before kindergarten, then kindergarten hits and the stressors of the day start to increase the anxiety, the struggle, like just having to be out and on all day can also be more difficult to wind down at night. So you can start to see sleep issues start there. However, I've also had the opposite. Kindergarten has done wonders for a lot of the kids because they're just so engaged. They're moving, they're doing things, they're learning so much during that day. So they actually sleep amazingly at night so it can kind of go the opposite at the same time so again sleep is a very it depends on the person it's a very individualized thing um some people are amazing sleepers some children with autism are amazing sleepers um but it's looking at the whole picture i think when it comes to sleep i see a lot of the times with and i mostly am working with autistic children it's not like i have like a bunch of typically developing children 50 50 and I can directly compare mm-hmm. something like that but just from my own personal experience I've noticed like my autistic kids between three and five they are so often like asleep in the car when they get there they're so tired after school they they have longer naps like I noticed that happens a lot too is that like sometimes I think because of all their sensory sensitivities they might have or how overwhelming it might be at school or maybe maybe all their therapies like there's probably a lot that goes into that but Mm -hmm. is that something too so like there's the challenges sleeping but then do you ever see like it's almost like they are sleeping like way more or having way longer naps is that is that so sometimes for kids who depending on the nap so like three-year-olds still keep their nap up till four sometimes five-year-olds keep a nap but it usually starts to drop around four um if they are so to touch on the car thing a lot of um depending on their learning history if they were babies or if they had ever fallen asleep in the car and it can be such a nice experience like there's some people who as soon as they get into a car they fall asleep because they've conditioned themselves to do that with that motion and that feeling, it just keeps their body, okay, time to go to sleep. This is, this is relaxing for me. So sometimes that can happen in uh, accidental 15 minute naps. Parents just can't avoid it because you can't keep your kid up um, while you're trying to drive at the same time. But kids who really need that like two hour nap, if they're getting in the afternoon, yes, it could be because of um, just the amount of stimulation they're getting during their day, but it also could be a sign are they getting enough quality sleep at night? I hope families know this now that sleep can be solved, but it was almost like normative to be like, oh, my kid has autism, so they don't sleep. That's just part of what autism is. And I will say some cases are super complex and they need like a really collaborative team approach for that. But 
looking at how if they sleep well one night and then one night they sleep for four hours and they're up for five and then they go and have a nap and their sleep schedule's just all over the place that's where you might see those longer naps and that could be a sign as a practitioner hey how are they sleeping and just to dig into it a little bit more especially if they're older than like four and a half five if they're needing those like really long naps um, and if it's impacting them falling asleep at a decent hour in the night too yeah that's such a good point so many things mm-hmm. to consider <laughs> so many things I mean I feel like I'm a sleep detective most of the time yeah. <laughs> like, what are we what's this what's the main point we need to figure out what's the problem and how can we create a plan that really fits that same problem? Mm-hmm. I so often feel that way with stuttering because there's so many environmental factors that can make it increase or, you know, so I'm always like, Oh, I need to like figure everything out a little, like just totally like a detective, like got to figure yeah. every area. It's like, just like sleep. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know what, it's not even like, I want like a number, but my mind right away goes, okay. So we know that, um, children with autism may have more challenges sleeping for various reasons. Like what, what's the percentage of that? Would you say like half, or is it like way bigger? And this is like really something that a large majority of our autistic clients are dealing with. And we're, we may not even be aware of. Yeah. And so of course, like coming back to the meta analysis that has been done, like there's a huge range. It's from like, I think like 40, 35% to like 70 or 80%, depending on your sample that you're getting. And so I would say, assume there might be one. And if there isn't, great. Um, and then just always ask because sometimes families, they, they don't know who to go to for that. The first step usually when kids are struggling with sleep is going to like the family doctor. Um, from what I've heard from clients who have come through and what people have said is that it's great, but also sometimes they only get them so far or they go straight to like the medication or melatonin supplement type route without actually looking at the problem as a whole, mm-hmm. um, especially kids who are on different medications. So different medications can cause alertness. They can also cause appetite inhibition. So they're starving late in the evening. They're not eating during the day. And so their bodies are just, their body clocks are just kind of all over the place. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, More than a 10 minute chat with your DP for sure. Totally. That, and that so often happens, right? Like, and I feel mm-hmm. bad for both the family doctors who it's like, we're at a shortage, especially where we live. And so there's oh gosh, clients, yeah. but at the same time, I feel bad for the parents because they're on this long wait list. And I think they think like going to see the doctor is going to be my solution to all these things. And then you're in and out, you're out in 10, 15 minutes. And yeah. yeah. So it's so important to have a supportive team and know which um, professionals to get referred to and all that. Um, sleep is just going to be on my mind now with all my kids. I'm going to be like seeing them for three years and be like, how are you sleeping? Yeah. <laughs> um, I always do a check-in with families, even though they've told me they're good. I just quickly touch base. How's it still going? Um, yeah. Cause it can change. It always can shift and, and morph and you just want to catch it before it kind of takes off on its own. And now we're, yeah, I'm like, to get back to it. I'm going to start checking in on all of them now. <laughs> yeah, love that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, moving towards like some strategies, what are yeah. some things that um, can help with sleep challenges? Yeah. So some of the basic things I think as practitioners and if we're working in different settings, so if we're working at the school or if we're working in sessions and things like that is knowing just a few basic daytime routine. Because um, when it comes to sleep, 
it's all about what we do during our day to set ourselves up for success in the evening. So I'll talk about kids and then we can always touch on like what adults might need to consider. Um, but when it comes to sleep, all waking up and getting outside or getting daylight is really important just for anchoring that daytime body clock. Once we see light, once we move, our body starts running and that's what we want. We want the engine to go. We want it to burn the fuel because the fuel that's burned is something called adenosine and that needs to build up throughout the day in order to feel that sleep pressure at night. And so our neurodivergent kids, sometimes they don't feel that sleep pressure if they don't have good interoception and they can't really identify all those things or there's just like different, they're not burning as much or whatever that looks like for them. So we need to have all those things in place. But the morning wake up, morning movement is always a great one. And breakfast, having something to eat and keeping those meals consistent throughout the day. Um, are so when we're having sessions if we know it's a lunchtime session just ensuring there's like maybe a snack option um, I know in some practitioners we use edible motivators like if it's food motivators and things like that I always suggest avoiding that unless it's like snack time because if we're constantly grazing or eating throughout the day that can mess with our body clock as well um, so yeah consistent meals yeah, daylight's one of the most important things. So a lot of the kids that we support or I support getting outside can be challenging. There's like some barriers around that as well as, of course, if we're at school, we're inside. Um, our body needs daylight and it needs movement to keep going throughout the day and just keep us awake. For our kids who have difficulty with self-regulation and who get overwhelmed or overstimulated by the environment, Having regulatory breaks throughout the day to allow their body to de-stress is another really helpful skill. Um, for kids who are just go, go, go all day, their cortisol levels are going to be high. Their act, their neurodivergent, the neurodivergent community is constantly out, um, accessing stressors. Like they're just bombarded by it all day. They're holding it all together. And then once they get home or once it's time to wind down, their body is going to take a lot longer because our cortisol needs to be low in order to fall asleep. But most of these kids, the cortisol is probably pretty high most of the day. So as adults, we can support them in calm breaks and hopefully reduce their daily stress so that when wind down time comes, it's not as hard. Those are some of my top tips right now. For wind down, like what are some ideas for wind down? I mean, I personally like wind myself down, like have a cup of tea, I'll have my red light on, but like, what are some tips for little ones for parents or, or SLPs even who have little kids at home? Cause I know I have a lot of SLPs listening. You want to individualize it to the person and the family, but a scenario is reducing access to screens um, about two hours before bed. Even though the screens, it may look like their bodies are relaxed, their brains are not because they're just so engaged. The dopamine is running high, like especially if it's YouTube or something more active video games. Um, so having screens off, if you can do two hours, wonderful. If you can do one hour, also wonderful. If you can do 30 minutes, wonderful. Just allowing space to allow for our brains to re like, just come down. Um, and the blue light, of course, from the screens can block natural melatonin production. Same with another way to wind down is just to signal and really clearly signal the dimming of the lights 
especially now, I don't know. Yeah, we, me and Shannon live in the same area. It is dark so early and it's just going to get dark earlier in the next couple of weeks because we have daylight savings coming up. Um, so dimming the lights in the house can signal subconsciously to the body because the signal comes through our eyes that it's time to settle down and increase melatonin, like signal melatonin. Okay, it's time to start producing because it takes about two hours for our body to get the level we need it to um, in order to fall asleep. For kids who really want parent involvement in the 15 minutes before bed or have trouble separating from the parent when it's time to go to sleep, including 30 minutes or whatever you can, if it's 15 minutes of really high quality one-on-one attention and engagement with your child or children can be a nice way to fill their love cup. So when it's time to go to bed, the 20 questions doesn't happen. <laughs> like, I'm thirsty. Like, the kids are the thirstiest right before bed. I'm like, you've had water all day, but they usually are the thirstiest. Or they want a snack. All of that usually is not because they are starving, but because they just want to keep spending time with you as their parent. Um, so that I always like to include that, especially in the little plans is just to really kids co-regulate. They need the parent to co-regulate. So having that in there is a nice preventative strategy to reduce the motivation to connect with you in ways that are not as fun for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Aw, that like special time right before bed. That's so, that's so cute. Like, like doing like a puzzle or coloring together or just having a conversation out on on the couch, the lights are dim and maybe you're reading a book. Yeah. Um, it's just a nice way for parents to reconnect with their kids. So many parents now they're working full time. I get it. Like I can't imagine I don't have children yet, but like if both are working full time, everyone's busy, everyone's stressed. It's a nice way for everyone to just reconnect at the end of the day. If you're not stressed, the child won't be stressed and just bring that down. So it's a nice proactive strategy that I love to bring in there. Yeah. How important would you say is a consistent bedtime, a consistent wake up time? Because I know like some parents, they'll be like, we got up at 11 a.m. And then, and I'm just like, whoa, like, is that bad? Um, that's one question I have, but then also, and I don't know what answer, what order you want to answer. One thing I heard recently, I was listening to a podcast and I don't know if this is evidence-based. I just heard it and I was like, that's interesting. I'm going to ask you because you know so much more sleep than me. Um, a mom was saying, she was like, I heard somewhere if a child associates a certain sound with bedtime, that will help them wind down. And I was like, what? Like, I've never heard that before. And I'm like, is this like, a real thing so even if it is or isn't I still want to bring it up because like I can just imagine parents are playing sound if they listen to that podcast but um is that something that is like a thing in 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 sleep for little ones yeah so here's I got a good story with that one too so we'll like jump quickly to the like quick tip on like the wake time bedtime well life happens so bedtime sometimes shifts And that's okay. Like I went to a concert on Saturday. My bedtime was 12 p.m. And I was like, I never go to bed this late, but I kept my wake time pretty consistent. So I woke up at eight instead of 7.30, but not sleeping till 11. Although I don't know if I could sleep till 11 these days. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like keeping your wake time, you're better off keeping your wake time consistent so that bedtime the next night isn't messed up. Because if you sleep till 11, 
Now you have all day, you have to build up the adenosine, the sleep pressure, and that takes time. And if you want them to go to bed at eight, but you will go at 11, it's unlikely that that will happen. So if you have families who say like, oh, we got up really late today, 11, that's a great bridge to ask, how is sleep going? Or like, what happened? Or like, what's going on? Maybe it was just a spontaneous late night. But yeah, if you can keep wake time consistent, it helps your entire, all your rhythms, so our circadian rhythm and our sleep cycle rhythm, as well as our digestive system and all the other different things that all are on their own timer, it helps that keep consistent. Our bodies, like our, like our hormone release systems, they do not have like a clock to say, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can just change it. So even if you go to bed later, still try, try and wake up around the same time. So you're tired enough to go to bed earlier that day instead of sleeping in and now you're changing the whole routine. Exactly. And avoiding things like you might be tired that day, but to support yourself to wake up, I would say movement, go outside, daylight, all that good things instead of like reaching for lots of caffeine or high sugar items like chocolate and stuff. Because kids who don't sleep well, or even adults, when we don't sleep well, our body naturally craves sugars and fat. I'm sure people on here have felt that. You want a bag of chips when you haven't slept. I want a bag of chips when I haven't slept well, or I want a chocolate bar because I haven't slept well, or I'll have an extra, like I'm in the fridge getting chocolate chips because I need a boost in the afternoon. To jump in on that comment, though, that you made around the sound and the sleeping, that is, so I don't, did you ever take like Psych 101? Yeah. Yes. Oh my God, I know what you're going to say. So it's like, it's it's conditioning. So classical, (laughs) it's it's just, it's classical conditioning as, I mean, it's some, it could be like operant as well, because you do have sleep as your reinforcer, but it just conditions you. So for me, for example, when I was a teenager, I would always fall asleep to 13 going on 30. (laughs) Like I would have, that was my crutch. Oh, and I also like had books on tape and things like that. So like 13 going on 30 would go on my like, little tv with like an insertable dvd player and as soon as it turned on asleep and then i had accidentally conditioned myself to fall asleep to any movie ever like if a movie came on i would fall asleep because i paired it enough times with movie sleep and it just you know that's just kind of what happened so Sure, I think you could pair a sound <laughs> if you like play it and they always fall asleep to that. Um, then eventually it might take on those properties. Like if you played the sound in the middle of the day, they they might fall asleep if they're tired or if they're in like a position of like maybe they're sitting and still or they're lying down and listening to the sound, they might just cue them. Hey, like go to sleep. They'll they'll settle in. Is that bad? Good or neither? Because I could see it. Being, I think I might have accidentally done this to myself because I listen to a guided meditation that like a body scan almost every night. Now I'm yeah. like, darn, I hope talking to you about this, I'm like, wow, I hope I'm not like needing that. And so I wonder if kids, like, would that be something like, would a child get so used to wave sounds or something like that? And then they all become dependent, can't do their nap at like grandma's house when she doesn't have the same thing. Or is that not something, what do you think? Well, from personal experience, I feel like I, it's all about learning. So optimally we want to be able to learn to fall asleep. But if, if those things are calming for you, 
Um, if it becomes a I have to, like I used to have a rule, like I'm very rule governed. <laughs> I have to have my iPad and I have to have it with friends on if I go to like a hotel or something because I know I'll fall asleep better with that just in a new environment or something like that. Um, but some kids, especially if they are very, sleep is so important. So if they need, if they do need it, and they're, so if they're not waking up in the night and having to turn it back on or struggling to get back to sleep, if it's not there, um, then I'd say, sure, that's fine. Um, it's the same thing as like parents who are in, who if kids fall asleep with a parent next to them, and then when they wake up, the parent's gone. It just triggers your body to be like, oh, I need to wake up. I need to make that same condition be in place so that I can fall asleep again. Um, and then that might be become that might become a little bit of an issue um, if, the, if the wake ups are happening. So you see it a lot in younger kids because they can't get up and, and fix things themselves. Um, so they go and wake up the parent and then the parents, they're like, well, they always fall asleep as soon as they come right back next to me. I'm like, yeah, like you've been conditioned as the sleep person, like you have to be there in that environment for them to initiate sleep. So working through that with parents is, is always not necessarily fun, but it's like an adventure to figure out how can we do this in a way that works best for them, um, for the parent and for the child and see, but yeah, there's no harm in some people put their diffusers on and they'll fall asleep with like lavender on. I think that's the same thing. Like it's a bit of an association. I wouldn't say lavender. Um, people have struggled with sleep problems. They know lavender does not cure the sleep problem, but it does help relax. And if it's paired with relaxing things, then it can start to take on that relaxing property. Who knew? I just have so many questions about sleep now that we're talking about. This is also yeah, no working. Okay. Yeah. Um, are there any other like strategies or anything you want to mention um, to wrap up the podcast? We kind of talked about why it's important. We talked about strategies, anything else we should mention in case anyone's like listening to this and they're like, Shannon, how could you not have asked this question? This is such a popular question. Uh, oh, I don't know. It's so hard, <laughs> but I think, I think it's always just checking in with parents because sleep, it's a, it's, it's a hard Piece. like when your kid's not sleeping there's a lot of parent feelings around it like they feel guilty or they feel like they don't have the tools that they need to help their child and so just sharing with them that maybe you can help find someone for them or refer out or just see let them talk about it because parents usually struggle in silence when it comes to sleep um, and they don't know that there's an answer or there's a way that can help improve their quality of life. Like we just know that these families of neurodivergent children, like it is a constant uphill battle, especially once they're in schools and like all these things. So hearing them out, checking in on the sleep, because if the parents aren't sleeping, their ability to show up as the parent that they want to be is just impacted too. So yeah, kids aren't sleeping, parents aren't sleeping. It's not fun for anybody. So yeah, just check in. And yeah. See. And then I mm -hmm. think like, um, I know sometimes if it's a first child or if it's their only experience with maybe autism, they might think, well, this is just like something I'm gonna have to deal with. This is just something I'll have to yeah. su suffer through. And so it's yeah. nice. And this is a good reminder for us all to open up the conversation because it's not necessarily something that they need to suffer through. There are resources out there. There are people like you who specialize in this, who, who do, um, 
would you say like parent coaching model? Cause you like, maybe we can chat more about that too, actually. Like, why don't you share yeah. more about that? Because it's nice to hear there's a resource like this. Um, and yeah. I know you mentioned you do it on zoom, which is fantastic because it's just mm-hmm. so accessible. Um, but yeah, can you share a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, I do. Um, I'll do a, a discovery call just to make sure like rule out a few medical things. Cause there's quite a few medical things we want to make sure that are tackled first before taking it on as from a behavioral approach, looking at the medical piece and then just seeing where their story is. And then from there, diving into an assessment. So we book an assessment. That's about an hour, hour and a half, depending on the case and coming up with an individualized plan for that. And usually I break it up into phases. Um, So let's start with the easier stuff and then move into see how that goes and then make some adjustments here and and collaboratively work together. Um, We stay in touch over email. And then we book follow-up sessions just to implement new phases or new plans. Um, and yeah, usually with families, like once we can get things going, you see improvement pretty quickly in the first like couple, in the first week for sure. And then things start to progress. And the same goes for adults. Um, I su- I've supported a lot of adults too. And I find knowledge is power. So I love doing these talks too, because sometimes when we just have the information, we're able to kind of adjust our days and make different choices. Um, and as adults too, we're modeling for all our kids. If we're parents, if we have poor sleep habits, then we don't know. We need to figure out how to support them too. So yeah, um, yeah, everything's virtual. Everything's on Zoom. So it makes it a bit more. Do you, is this just for Canada, for BC? Who all can you work with? Any anyone because we we're not in a college right now like BC days aren't in a college in BC so I'm able to support anybody from anywhere I've supported um in England once and the States once so um it's it's nice to be able to just hop on a call and just you know get this all sorted because it doesn't have to be something we have to live with yeah and the next steps like I find some people just love it because they're like okay I got this down but now Nicole's given me the questions I need to ask my doctor, the questions I need to do here and like, just keep pushing in the system that we have. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so great that you can do. So then I'm going to link everything we referenced in the show notes and now how beautiful we all have a resource to recommend our families. If you're, if you go to work, um, look, this will come out on a Monday, you go to work Tuesday or Monday and you're like, Oh, I should ask more clients now about sleep. But then right away, we have a resource we can recommend you. And you have all this experience with sleep for families to get support with, which is great. Yes. Yeah. And I am offering, um, I have a challenge coming up with a new app that I'm working with. So that will be releasing in a couple, hopefully in a couple of weeks, we're saying for approval from Apple. And, um, and then also I'm planning to do some workshop or just some like asynchronous courses because it's nice to, do things on your own time and dive into it. Cause sometimes I find myself repeat, I'm find myself repeating what I'm saying. So I'm like, okay, then here we go. Yeah. Give everybody the information. And again, like information is power. And yeah, that's how I've fixed my sleep too. And so many families have taken that and run with it. So. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that I had you on. Um, I've already like, we have um, some clients now that we're working together with. And I know like one family came to me and they were like, oh my God, love her. So for everyone <laughs> who's like, I highly recommend you, know, you refer. Yes. <laughs> um, Thank you. 
where can everyone find you, follow you? I'll also link it in the show notes, but um, you can let everyone know that before we wrap up for today. Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram at your behavior gal and it's spelled with a U behavior is spelled with a U the Canadian way. And I'm like a little bit on TikTok, but I just like kind of repost. <laughs> I was like, I just can put all my eggs in one basket. But yeah, you can find me on Instagram sharing lots of free content there um, and resources. So awesome. be sure to follow along. Yeah. Okay. Yay. Okay. So everyone go follow Nicole, check out the show notes, ask your clients about their sleep. Maybe don't ask yeah. your old, like ask their family. Sorry. I'm like hilarious. <laughs> I've had so many, um, like, so I've talked a lot today for an introverted person. You guys, I haven't talked, I've talked a lot today. I'm now like slurring my words and I have sessions soon, but anyways. Okay. Thank you so, so much for coming on and I'll see everyone next Monday. 